We uh, have been doing a sermon series out of the book of Proverbs. Uh, the book of Proverbs um, is about wisdom, is about the practical knowledge that gets us through life uh, really well. Uh, the book of Proverbs tells us to get wisdom. That is the first message of the book. Um, <clears throat> it says at the beginning of wisdom uh, is to uh, respect the Lord, uh, to embrace good and evil, to fear doing evil. And then it gives us long lists of truisms, of these pithy little phrases, these little wisdom nuggets uh, that uh, invite us to meditate on their insights. Uh, control your mouth was, uh, is a theme of a lot of those Proverbs. That's what we looked at uh, last week. And this week, we're going to look at matters of the heart. Now, part of this sermon series uh, for us has been uh, doing a little homework, uh, coming up with our own personal Proverbs. Uh, did any of you try to write some personal Proverbs this week? One, two, three, four of you, five, six, seven. All right, so the class is failing. The, the, this is Mother's Day, so here's a million-dollar question. Did anyone come up with a proverb on motherhood this week? All right. You know, come on up, you know, bang. <clears throat> to honor mothers from a mother, perhaps about motherhood, here's a personal proverb of the week. It's a lot of pressure here. Uh, this is to honor my mother who is in heaven with our heavenly father. Here's my proverb in honor of my mom. A mother's unending prayers yield eternally changed lives. Well, there you go. That's, that's for true. That's for true. Uh, anyone else have a proverb on, on motherhood? Craig does? This is awesome because to my knowledge, Craig has never been a mother. <laughs> but your proverb on motherhood. Oh, actually, it's about all women. And it's the lost proverb. God never got it in the Bible, so he gave it to us through his faithful prophet, Cheryl Ling, back in the early 90s when we were doing the adventures of Wendy, and she put it in the script, and it took three or four scenes to illustrate it, but the proverb goes like this. It goes, never argue with a woman. Pray for them instead. It's, it's a whole lot easier, a whole lot more effective, and I, I don't know why it is. <laughs> I, I don't know why it is, but that's such a Hard, I'm so sorely tempted to violate it. I don't know. <laughs> but when it comes to mothers, don't pray for them. Do what they say. <laughs> he pulled that out at the end. You see that? That's awesome. Any more Proverbs on motherhood? Share in honor of Mother's Day. All right. Well done. Yay, Mom. Grandmother, as the case may be, is Nan our oldest uh, mother here today, 91 years old. Anyone else? <clears throat> our most recent mother might be our worship leader, Unisim, who has a little baby, Suvi, six pounds, ten ounces, six thirteen. Summer. Suvi means summer in what? Finnish? 
I'm not going to ask how. To my knowledge, Eunice is not Finnish. I don't think Taylor is. Taylor is? Okay. Um, what uh, what uh, we're going to uh, do in the sermon series of Proverbs as we march through it, every week we're going to take a selection of four or five, six chapters. Uh, I'm going to choose a handful of Proverbs uh, from those chapters that are my favorite, share them with you. I'm going to choose one that's provoking me currently. And then we're going to take a look at a theme uh, that many of the Proverbs in that weekly selection share. Here are a few Proverbs uh, from roughly chapters 16 through 20, 21. Uh, some of my favorites uh, from chapter 16, 3. And I bet a lot of you know this one as well. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. How many of you knew that one already? Yeah. Yeah, I memorized that uh, when I was just a kid. Commit to the Lord wherever you do, and your plans will succeed. It constantly encouraged me to ask, is God in this? Uh, is this for God? And if I am convinced that something is for God, uh, then I'm quite confident that it will be fruitful, even if it's not fruitful in exactly the way that I expect which is why we have the proverb, uh, to encourage us that things will be fruitful even if uh, they don't look like they're unfolding exactly as we anticipated. Uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. I don't think that one needs any explanation, particularly not on, on Mother's Day. Can I get an amen, honey? But, just for the record, I memorized that one before I got married. It's arguable, but it could work the other way. She who finds a husband, but we... But it's notable that that proverb is not actually in the book. Chapter 19, verse 2. It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. Uh, the translation that I uh, grew up with said, zeal without knowledge is a dangerous thing. A zeal is like passion and enthusiasm. Um, and uh, when I was young, I remember meditating on this proverb and just thinking, uh, you know, youth, youth have lots of enthusiasm, lots of pas uh, passion, not necessarily a lot of wisdom. And it forced me to, to really slow down and try to go deep instead of just uh, going forward. Zeal without knowledge can be really dangerous. Someone who's convinced they know the right way to do something. Um, but, uh, but doesn't. Uh, 19.11, a man's wisdom gives him patience, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Uh, I remember memorizing that one in high school, uh, particularly the last half. It is a man's glory to overlook an offense. We have this sort of false view of, of manliness or masculinity, especially that you defend your honor. Uh, Proverbs says, no, it's a man's glory to overlook an offense. If somebody can offend you and you just kind of walk right through it and don't even pay attention, that's glorious. Uh, that's, that's fruitful. So uh, try not to snap back at people who mistreat you. There's a proverb in chapter 18 uh, that uh, I've been thinking about. Um, it just sort of speaks to my current situation in life, 18.9. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Do you guys know that one? Um, by the way, I memorized it. He who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. I think flows a little better. But uh, 
we have uh, those pronoun gender challenges in English. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. I've been thinking about uh, how important it is to be uh, thorough. I've always had the challenge of doing a few too many things in my life. How many of you feel that way? Just you're trying to do too many things, life is a little crowded, and then the challenge if you live a life like that is to be thorough in every one thing that you do. And if you're not, uh, if you're not thorough enough, uh, it actually is, is destructive. Uh, I'm also trying to educate my kids right now. We're doing some homeschooling, and, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to instill this value. Uh, one who is slack in his work is trouble. You know, one of the first values you have to teach is uh, excellence and precision. Is that true? Is that helpful? That's one that really speaks to me. Uh, but today we're going to talk uh, about matters of the heart and proverbs that speak to them. Let me ask you this. Can you change the way... Can you change the way you feel? Can you change the way you think? Can you change the way you feel? The second one has some uh, disagreement in the crowd. We have this idea that thinking belongs to the head and feeling belongs to the heart. That's the way we conceive of it in our culture. For the Hebrews, it was thinking belongs to... They didn't know where thinking came from, but... You know, the spirit and feeling belongs to the guts. That's how they conceived of it. Um, physiologically, I think probably thinking and feeling both happen in the brain, but, you know, spiritually, uh, how does that work out? Can you change the way you feel? Uh, let me add it, ask it this way. Can you change your heart? Can you change your heart? And if you change your heart, will that change the way you feel? <clears throat> Okay, now we're kind of starting to get to it. And this is one of the principles, one of the concepts that um, Proverbs <coughs> speaks to. I think it's what we do in life that, <coughs> that counts most. But over the long term, what we do outwardly is shaped by what goes on inwardly in our, let's just say, hearts, uh, in our insides. I'm talking about our desires, our feelings, and our fundamental thoughts, which is to say our thought patterns. Not the thought that we think any moment, but the way we tend to think. All of that, let's just call that the heart today, okay? Uh, that's what I'm talking about when I say uh, the heart. It is not possible to change your life without changing your heart. And I think that's a truism that the book of Proverbs speaks loud and clear. It is not possible to change your life without changing your heart, your desires, your thought patterns, ultimately the way that you feel about things. You think that's true? You can't simply change your behaviors. You can't simply change your outcomes by trying to change your behaviors and outcomes. You also have to change your heart. You have to change what goes on on the inside if you really want that to manifest on the outside. You have to shape it. You have to discipline it. And then your heart becomes the foundation that will provide um, the life for all these outward changes that you may be seeking. Now, this comes up in Proverbs all the time. I just kind of went through the handful of chapters that we are scheduled to read through this week. And uh, here's a sampling of Proverbs that I think sort of speak to this truism and speak to the work of the heart in general. 
Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, the attitude, the spirit. Better to be lowly in spirit along, the, along with the oppressed than to share your plunder with the proud. Better a patient, a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. All of these things are sort of talking about your attitude, right? Your, your approach to things, your interior. From Proverbs 17, one whose heart is corrupt does not prosper. Or uh, if you want to think of it more generally, one whose heart is corrupt is not fruitful in life. <clears throat> one whose tongue is perverse falls into trouble. We talked about that last week. But here's a connection between the heart being corrupt and the tongue being perverse. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. The value of joy as opposed to depression. Uh, Proverbs 18, this sounds familiar. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Haughtiness, pride, humility, heart-level stuff. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. If you are a wise person, you're thinking about the deep, hidden purposes of of your heart. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? In other words, if you have sin in your life, where does it start? Well, with the heart, the purity of the heart. And who manages that well? The Proverbs teaches us to ask an inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed at the end. That might not sound like a heart-level thing, but, you know, if you want your inheritance, um, you're not willing to wait uh, to, your, uh, to your parents die, well, I think that's a heart-level thing. Uh, how about this one? Blows and wounds scrub away evil, and, beating, and beatings purge the inmost being. What? It doesn't sound wise. That sounds brutal. Uh, what's going on there? Um, well, we'll talk about that in a little while. Uh, but suffice it to say that uh, humiliating circumstances can sometimes be uh, good for you if you evaluate them according to what goes on in the inside rather than what's happening on the outside. Proverbs 21, which we don't get to this week, says, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. The Lord is always evaluating what goes on on the inside because ultimately the heart, again, the motives, the desires, um, some we might not even be fully aware of ourselves, those shape things outwardly in the end. The heart always tells. The heart always manifests. If you look good, but are on the inside driven by sickness or evil or fear, then sickness or evil or fear will always result from you. Sick heart, sick manifestations uh, in your life. Uh, And this is a general problem in humanity according to Proverbs, uh, like I read from chapter 20. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? Everybody has an interior struggle that manifests in exterior trouble. Um, 1720, one whose heart is corrupt does not prosper. If your heart is corrupt, you won't be fruitful in the world. You won't really create a a harvest. 
Um, if you brood on anger, right, if you have angry thought patterns uh, in your heart, then you will ultimately lash out angrily in the world, and that will not be fruitful. If you brood on anger habitually, you will lash out habitually. What's on your inside will tell on the outside. If you entertain yourself with lustful thoughts, you will ultimately act out lustfully. And if you want to end the cycle of lust, you must stop what's going on on the inside. You must stop your internal entertainments. Uh, if you harbor unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart, you will ultimately manifest meanness and sharpness in the world, and you will damage people. It's just the way that it works. By contrast, if you're good-hearted, you will produce goodness around you. So ultimately, only good-hearted people can be trusted to produce goodness. And this is why the Lord weighs the heart. He wants you to be good-hearted because then you are trustworthy. And then you can carry the blessings that the Lord wants you uh, to have. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. If your heart is good, if it is light, if it is joyful, if it is righteous, if it is pure, you're healing. You are good medicine in the world, and the world needs some good medicine. So it is important to make your heart wise. We're talking about wisdom as we go through the book of Proverbs. And as you might think of having a wise man, you, a wise mind, you should think of having a wise heart. The Proverbs makes this very clear. Well, what is a wise heart? Like a wise person or a wise mind, a wise heart navigates life situations really well. A wise heart knows what to desire, what to feel what to purpose itself to do. Uh, always choosing good. Good desires, good feelings, good intentions. The wise heart pursues these things. So how exactly does one make one's heart wise? Well, if Proverbs has taught us anything so far, uh, number one is that you have to decide to do it. If you think that it would be good to have a wise heart, you have to go get it. This stuff just doesn't happen by accident. You have to pursue a wise heart, lesson uh, number one. Uh, you have to decide that your thought patterns, uh, your interior desires, need to be developed well. Life can't just be about your external behavior, right? The internal patterns need to be developed well by you. Otherwise, you won't navigate life well. Otherwise, you will hit the wall, get into trouble, and cause destructions. Are you with me so far? Sound good? Does it sound right to you? Those of you who have been following the Lord for a while. But how do you do that? All right? How do you develop your thought patterns, your motives, and your desires? Well, uh, the book of Proverbs says a lot on it. Uh, but I think most uh, prominently it speaks of two heart virtues, two internal disciplines in particular. Patience and humility. If you want your heart to be wise, uh, then, help, uh, then, then make your heart patient and make your heart humble. When uh, Proverbs talks about patience, I think it talks about patience in, in two different senses. Uh, number one, patience in the sense of the ability to wait in life. 
or if, if you will, the, the ability to delay gratification. Proverbs uh, 20, 21, an inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed in the end. If you're in a hurry to get what's yours in life, to get what you have coming, then even if you get it all and more, it will not end well for you. Why? Why? You know, if I get my inheritance early, you know, Nana's going to leave me, you know, seven figures, either five bucks, five dollars. You know, I can use that money. Maybe I can invest it wisely, you know. Uh, maybe I'm a better financial manager than my uh, forebears are. Um, but Proverbs says, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You have shown impatience. You have shown an inability to wait. You have shown haste. And therefore, you will ruin things. That's a truism. That's a, that's a life truism that Proverbs gives us. Hurrying to get good things always causes you to neglect other good things. That could be a proverb right there, I think. Hurrying to get good things will always cause you to neglect other good things. Impatience always leads to incompleteness in life. It's like putting on the roof of a house before you've secured the walls. Right? You just, I mean, a roof is great. It keeps off the rain. It keeps off the sun. Arguably, the roof is the most important piece of the house. But if you construct the roof before you have the walls set well, then the roof just becomes a weight on your head. It's going to fall down, and there will be uh, destruction. There will be disaster. And that's just a great life principle. People get in all sorts of trouble because they grab at good things without realizing that there are other good things that attend them. People get into all sorts of trouble with sex and romance in this regard, right? Because those things are very compelling. Those things are, are, are very good. Those things are a blessing uh, that, uh, that many uh, young people want. But what if you grab for those things without all the other good structures that are supposed to go with them? You know, holiness and purity and friendship and support and things like that. What happens? Well, destruction happens. Destruction happens. You know, you know what the number one predictor of poverty is in America? The social factor that when a baby is born tells you more than anything else about whether that baby will be poor and struggling in the world. You know what it is? Out of wedlock birth. It is the most important social factor. If a baby is born out of wedlock, even if the father is involved in life, uh, that baby has uh, a much greater chance of being poor and undereducated and criminal. Structure is supposed to surround something like that, right? And what's happened there is somebody has been uh, impatient or incomplete. Haste. They reach for a good thing without doing the supporting work. Impatience always does that. Uh, I think it works with churches too. There are a lot of talented young pastors out there whose goal is to fill the church uh, with people, to fill the pews. But I note that Jesus chose a slower strategy, a long strategy of just working with a few guys and doing that really well. And then ultimately that changed the whole world. He could have had a much bigger following, but he was patient. 
Children's studies show that delayed gratification is the key to all discipline in life. Have you heard about these studies, like the famous marshmallow study, uh, where, you know, they sit a kid down on the table. This is kind of unfair, really. And they put, like, a marshmallow in front of the kid, and then they say, uh, if you can wait till I get back to eat the marshmallow, then I will give you two or three marshmallows. And then they leave. And then they watch to see what the kid does. And some kids are like, marshmallow. <laughs> and some kids are like, or, or they'll turn around and not look at the marshmallow. You know, it's just like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And then they've studied those children longitudinally. Like decades have passed and they've tracked the life performance of those kids. And the kids who could not wait and took the marshmallow had a very hard time in life. You know, they undereducated, underemployed, broken relationships. And the ones who mastered delayed gratification at the beginning have had much better lives according to the traditional social factors. The ability to wait. It is the bedrock of, uh, of life management. Uh, so, Christians, I just sort of ask you, what if you are willing to delay gratification to the next life? What if you're willing to wait all the way till the next life? Then how well will you navigate this life and how fruitful will you be? Just a question. Uh, I would say uh, that a wise heart does not chase after every feeling that it has. It's a personal proverb. A wise heart does not change, chase after every feeling it has. I know, you may or may not be able to control the feeling that you have in the moment. People will debate about that. But you can control whether you pursue that feeling. Um, and a wise heart works at feeling the right things. More on that in a moment. Uh, and then patience. Patience in the sense of waiting. And then there's patience in the sense of stamina. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 6 uh, says this, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. There are a lot of people out there saying, yes, my love for you is enduring. It has changed my life. It is everlasting. But the writer of the Proverbs says, and yet who can find a faithful guy? You know, that just doesn't last, right? The feeling doesn't last without the virtue of stamina, of patience, of faithfulness, uh, consistency. Uh, one of my proverbs is determination empowers inspiration. Uh, there's another one that's popular, like inspiration is 90% perspiration or something like that. Uh, determination uh, is, you know, stick-to-itiveness uh, is the key to so many things. Virtue, when it comes right down to it, is just a good habit that you've developed. Anybody can be kind to one person in one moment, but a person is kind to everyone, well, that's habitual. And that person has shaped himself or herself uh, to be that way. Uh, habit is only developed through repetition. Proverbs 16, verse 32. Uh, this is one that's been one of my favorites uh, since I was a little kid, not because I'm good at it, but because I need to get good at it. Better a patient man than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. In those ancient days when this was written, uh, the strong warrior, the guy who could fight off enemies and ransack an enemy city, that was, that was a pretty special man. That was a highly valued man. But the writer of Proverbs say, says, uh, better a patient man than a warrior, one who can control himself 
than one who can take a city. Uh, why is that? Well, I think because you can take a city and still screw it up later. Right? You can win a battle and still lose the war if you're not consistent with how you do things. Also, a warrior can be defeated sometimes, but patience never can. Patience is that quality that by definition never gives up. You can abandon patience if you want, uh, but as long as you embrace it, you will keep going in the right direction. Um, I would probably sum it up this way. Um, your habits and routines shape your life. And your heart, as it turns out. You want to change your heart? Uh, develop good habits and good routines. Good habits equal good heart. What are good habits that could shape your heart? Well, we could talk about that a long time. Prayer, godly meditation, uh, certain speaking habits you might have, the way that you say things or what you speak to people. Thankfulness can be a good habit. When I'm really, really stressed in life, one of the habits I've developed is what I call the hundred thankfuls. When I'm just having an angry season, I wake up in the morning and I can't pray to God because I just complain to him. So I know not to try. Instead, what I do is I, is I say thank you for a hundred different things. And I lose track, so it's a hundred-ish, right? I go through that every day because thankfulness is the antidote to anger. Hard work is another great habit, you know, that really develops both waiting and patience, etc. Patience shapes the heart, and a wise heart is patient. And then the second thing is humility. <clears throat> humility in the sense of, well, two different senses of humility as well. Humility in the sense of not pride, not vain. If you're a humble person, you're not a vain person. And all sorts of Proverbs about this. I mean, man, they are all through the book of, of Proverbs. Pride gets a really bad rap in the book of Proverbs. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. <clears throat> before a downfall, the heart is haughty. The heart is prideful. The heart is vain. The heart is full of itself. But humility comes before honor. You think that's true? Do you really think it's true? I think it's a true-ism. I mean, who gets rewarded in our culture? The prideful person or the humble person? Oh, the prideful person. Definitely. Def Sony says, eventually the humble person will be honored. Well, the humble person will be honored by God. Because the humble person will establish fruitfulness in the world. And the prideful person may have success, but he or she will never be fruitful, I think is the way I understand it. We all know that pride makes you stupid. Do we not know that? If you get full of yourself, then you become an idiot. True? Can I get an amen? Because pride keeps you from learning. You know, you can't admit that you need to learn. You can't admit your mistakes and stuff like that. Uh, and pride is very self-oriented, which runs counter to love, right? You're never going to be selfless if you're all full of yourself. It has to be about you. And if it's about you, then you're going to embrace evil because you will not embrace love. So selfish people will always create harm. And ultimately, Proverbs tells us that's really stupid. You should embrace goodness. Pride is bad. We can talk more about that, but I think everybody understands it. There's... Uh, also humility in the sense of, of what I call lowliness. When I say humble, most of you probably thought of someone who was modest. 
And, and I think this is one thing that culture has done to humility that makes us misunderstand what it is. Who is a humble person? Who is a humble person? Now, who appears in your head? The humble person uh, probably you've conceived of is someone who is really great and has accomplished amazing things but doesn't brag. Manny Pacquiao is a humble person. Thank you for proving my point. Manny Pacquiao is, is a humble person. Great guy, right? Great, really good-hearted guy. But Manny Pacquiao is not lowly, Right? And when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, he said it to a bunch of rabble. He said it to a bunch of dirty foreigners and immigrants and sick people and poor people. They were, you know, lowly. They weren't great and accomplished. They were just, they were just low, right? They were the low men and women on, on the totem pole. And Scripture actually has a lot of kind things to say about lowliness. How many of you love lowliness? How many of you love modesty? Yeah. How many of you love lowliness? Ah, here's the rub. And it's really lowliness that produces good things in our heart. It's the lowly heart, or as Jesus said, the poor in spirit. You know, it just feels like it hasn't accomplished uh, much at all. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. How many of you want to be lowly with the oppressed people in society? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, a couple people who know. That's a tough one. Why? Well, lowly circumstances force you to go inward in life, don't they? If your circumstances are really lonely, uh, you're likely to pay attention to what's going on in your heart because you have to survive. Um, and, and ultimately, that's helpful because it's the heart that produces fruitfulness in life when all is said and done. Done. Lowly circumstances breed wisdom, you know, provided uh, you stick with it. The ability to do the right thing even when no one is cheering for you, that's an experience Manny Pacquiao will never have the rest of his life. He will never do the right thing when no one is cheering for him. Why? Because people are perpetually cheering for him. He, lose, he loses to Mayweather. Still way more popular than Mayweather. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Manny Pacquiao, just, just, never mind. But people will always cheer for him, and unfortunately that's a bit of a disadvantage where the heart is concerned. And how many decent people have we seen destroyed by stardom? It's because they never have that opportunity to do good things when nobody is cheering. Uh, their life comes with a cheering section, and, and that kind of sucks for the heart. Um, and here we get to chapter 20, verse 30. Blows and wounds scrub away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. How many of you are thankful for the beatings you've received in life, whether physical or otherwise? Yeah? Well, we could unpack this one psychologically. But obviously, this proverb is about humility and, and not about violent manipulation, in case you were wondering. You know, it does not sing the praises of abusers. Uh, but it, it just points out that, you know, lowliness comes from being, being treated uh, poorly oftentimes. And if you can take it, if you can take the humiliation, if you can take the defeats, if you can take the pain, 
if you can take it without falling apart, it can make you more free from the flesh, uh, more free from status fears. People treat you like junk, but you know what? You're okay. That's not a bad life lesson. Uh, make you uh, free from fear of failure. How many of you have just failed miserably in life? Well, if you stuck with God, you have emerged with less fear of failure because it didn't kill you, did it? There's a song about that. Um, <clears throat> how offended are you by pain? I think this is a question that it provokes. You know, you have a painful experience in life, you get sad. But how many of you get angry? You know, you're offended by defeats and disappointments and, and mistreatments. How many of you get, you know what I'm talking about? Get offended by that? Well, that kills you. It kills me uh, when that happens. Uh, because, you know, pain can be terrible, but it also is often the thing that matures us and refines and develops our heart. There's a very famous psychologist from generation past, uh, Stephen uh, Covey, who uh, wrote a, a book about what develops people, what makes them mature. And while writing the book, he became a Christian because he discovered that Christians are better at maturity than any other people uh, that he could identify in, in, in the study. Uh, his thesis statement was that maturity is the ability to take pain while making necessary changes in your life. And a lot of us just, just get so offended by pain, we reject it. It shuts us down and it keeps us immature. We know that a person full of vanity acts stupidly. doesn't need to be uh, explained. Um, but who pursues lowliness? How many of you have pursued lowly stations in life? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? It's a tough one. Um, more on that in a moment, too. Uh, so I just want to say beware that people, that if you're a humble person, treat, people will treat you with disdain. You can't be a lowly person and expect to be treated well uh, by folks. If you take the lowly station, if you take the low seat at the table uh, in life, uh, most often uh, people, if, if you refuse to promote yourself, then most often uh, it will just get you mistreated. People will undervalue you and mistreat you, just so you know. That's part of it. Don't get offended by that. Maybe it's even good to be lonely. All right, just to wrap up, when your heart is good, it does not disturb your good judgment. If your heart is bad, then you get into trouble. How many of you have ever been to this at this moment? I know it's the right thing to do, but I don't want to. I know it's, I know it's the right thing to do, but I feel... Well, what does it matter how you feel? It's still the right thing to do, right? And a good heart will help you do it. And a bad heart will pull you away from it. I think that's what it boils down to. Can you... Trust your heart. Is your interior a help to you or a hindrance to you? Does your heart, maybe after a tiny bit of storm, push you toward the right thing? Or does your heart thrash you around in life? What do you think? That's a pretty good measure of your heart health. So here are three tips for developing a wise heart that fall out of some of the Proverbs that we've been reading. Just brief ones, because 
Who knows the purposes of a heart? It takes a man of insight to draw them out, I'm told. Here are three little tips. Number one, the pause. I think life should come with a pause button. Um, and we should hit it when we need to. Everybody hit your pause button. And go. Okay. I hit my pause button this morning when I was trying to uh, copy um, my sermon notes uh, for the projection team. We got a new printer at home, and it ate my sermon. So I started to cuss it out. Then I hit the pause button. I literally had to cover my eyes. I can't look at you, printer. I hate you. (sighs) You know, uh, you're told to count to 10. I count to 30. That's just where I I am in life. But here's mostly what I, here's, here's the big value of the pause. You hit the pause button. And then you ask yourself this question, how should I be feeling? As opposed to, what do I feel? And that's a bit of wisdom I've learned in life. You know, instead of asking myself, how do I feel about this? I ask myself, how should I feel about this? And that requires a pause. How should I feel about this? That's really the more important question, isn't it? How do you feel? Well, how should I feel? That's maturity right there. Uh, Number two, uh, choose the humble station in life. Uh, Jesus said, take the low seat at the table. And and this is what what he was talking about. Uh, Always always serve at the lowest rung if you can pull it off. Sometimes you can't. But do something lowly. And embrace it as if it were who you are. It will settle your heart. What is a lowly thing, uh, a slightly embarrassing thing that you can do in life? Think about it for a second. Regularly, I mean. A humble station. Oh, you got something, Jay? Pick up garbage when you see it. That's a great habit. That's a great habit. Yeah. Pick up garbage when you see it. We have some great servants around here. What are, what are the thankless jobs uh, mounting a church service? Well, there are lots of them. You know, the sound guy. That's a thankless job. Why? Because he only gets noticed when something goes wrong. Thank you for proving my point, Andrew. I have a lower job for you. I think you need some heart work. That's a great one, you know. Set up and tear down all the jobs that people don't see. There's a crew of people that scrub the bathrooms for you every Sunday. Um, So... If you have a thing called a family, there are always thankless jobs at a family. Uh, Happy Mother's Day. Um, 
But uh, do those jobs and it will settle your heart. And finally, uh, pick one good thing. One good thing. And this is just a discipline that I try to do. One good thing. I call it the one good thing. Pick a good thing you will always do and never give up on. You know, finish this sentence. In life, I will always blank. What is that going to be for you? Be uh, specific about it. Don't say, in life, I will always prioritize God. No, no, no. no. I mean, that's, that's too general. Uh, that's, that's a good thing, but, but it's too general. Uh, in life, I will always say thank you when I get a chance. Uh, in life, I will always smile. Not my thing. Um, in life, I will always honor the person in front of me. Very much my thing. I try very hard to do that always. What is it going to be for you? I'll give you five seconds because I'm too impatient to give you more. In life, I will always and never ever give up on it. The trick is to never give up on it. It's a lowly, important, heart level thing. Let's pray. Well, we humbly ask for heart virtue, uh, for patience and all of the wisdom that attends it. I pray, Lord, that you would make us a a pure-hearted people, uh, pure on the inside, that we might be fruitful on the outside. I pray, Lord, for a great season of heart work. I pray, Lord, for inspired ideas and invigorated determination. so hard to directly minister to the heart, so I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to do it here this morning among these brothers and sisters, these mothers and fathers, these children. Make us a family in the heart, Lord. It is written, as we read last week, um, each heart knows its own bitterness and no one can share its joy. The thing about working on the heart is that it really has to be done individually. You have to make up your own mind to do it. Who among us will... Pursue a wise heart. We thank you for your work, Holy Spirit. We thank you for encouragement, and we thank you for being the shepherd of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.